Hey, good morning. Uh, if you're new, I'm Charlie, uh, the lead pastor here, and really glad you are worshiping with us today. It is the first week of August, which uh, means I get a little nostalgic. This is, uh, we moved here our first Sunday here at the Grove 12 years ago was August the 1st, and so it's you kind of start, always get a little reflective, which, you know, by coincidence of that, no coincidence, you know, it's kind of, we always have a series, just kind of talk about who we are as a church and, and what it is God's called us to do, and I don't break out this story every year, but there's enough new people, and I think it's been a while, so I, there's an important story in kind of in Grove lore about that first day that I feel like everybody needs to know. A few of you were there. And I'm sorry for that. Um, I'm going to say this, and again, this is kind of for the, you know, I guess, I'm not trying to be too mean. But I would say that the Grove, when I moved, they didn't have a sense of humor. They just didn't. It was not, it was not, we were, we were not a laugh, it was not a place where you could laugh, give me, enjoy stuff. And so, and I didn't know that at first. And so it was the Grove, right? And they called themselves Grovers, and so I wore a Super Grover t-shirt, right? I'm now the lead pastor. Look, I'm Super Grover. You're Grover. I'm Super Grover. And it was just like, why is that clown wearing a t-shirt? And so it went horribly wrong, but it was okay. I could still recover with the good message, right? Except the air conditioner didn't work in the building we were in, and I was wearing a gray t-shirt, and I am what they call a prolific sweater, and so I don't know if you've ever gotten just the good old-fashioned, like, sweat band that just kind of happens right here. But that's, that's what I'm doing. An, a clown in a gray T-shirt just sweating through his T-shirt. Welcome to the Grove. Anyways, so it was, it was, it was difficult, but the, the good thing is it could only have gotten better. And it has over the last 12 years, and it's been really cool. We moved here. Our daughters were 12 and 9, and I guess negative 1. And um, now they're 24, 21, and 10. We've got one going to the fifth and sixth grade class for the first time right now. We've got one's finishing up grad school, one's finishing up at the U of A. And I enjoy now kind of with people who've been here for a while that were young when I knew them, right? It was that it's just like, hey, you know, you're, Maley is now the, old, the age you were at 24 that you were when I met you. And like, what? Or like, I was 38 when I moved here. That's how old you are now. And they're like, Ah, like I can, make, I can make people feel old as opposed to just me feeling old. But it's been a really cool 12 years. And there are just a lot of really cool stories out there of really awesome things that God has done. And I, I actually got to hear one that I didn't know just a few weeks ago. Um, I've mentioned this, that I was in Orlando for a few days, kind of going from this different groups of college ministers and just kind of trying to encourage them as they are leading, kind of growing and starting out in ministry. And there was this one group, they were kind of from working at colleges more out west. Uh, They're from uh, Colorado State, Wyoming, and Arizona. And I'm hanging out with them, and, this, and this, this, this one young woman, she's probably, you know, 27, she's like, you, you, probably, you, you probably don't know me. I'm like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if we've met. Well, she's like, I came to the Grove, I was a student at the U of A, I came to the Grove like, I don't know, maybe two or three times. And I'd never gone to church before. I'd never heard about Jesus. And I was in the sorority and some girls brought, brought me. And um, it was the first time I had ever heard the gospel. And I was really compelled by it. And I, th- and I gave my life to Christ that day at the Grove. And um, I was like, really? He's like, yeah, she's never really connected here. I don't know if she got connected at another church. It's never really got connected at church, but, you know, and I'll find out, you know, 10 years later, there's this young woman who is now kind of dedicating her life to 
helping college students know Jesus. And in one really cool moment, unbeknownst really to any of us, God did something really cool in the life of her. And now that effect is multiplying. So in addition to all the stories that we know, all the stories that are here in this room where God did something really cool in your life or in your family to bring some sort of healing or give you new life through Jesus, there's also just countless of unknown stories of where because of what God is doing here, he's changing the world. And so what we're going to do over these next three weeks as we kind of move towards our fall launch, which is coming here in a few weeks, is we're just going to kind of rehearse some things, just kind of remind ourselves of some things about who it is that God has called us to be as a church. And so if you are really, really new, then these next three weeks will just kind of be an introduction, really, into kind of who it is that God has called us to be. If you've been around a while, you're new-ish, but you're long, you've been around long enough to kind of know who the Grove is, this is a recruiting time. I want to recruit you. I want to recruit you to not just be someone who is participating and watching, who is just kind of observing, but that you are actively engaged in what God is doing here. We want you to benefit from it, but we want you to help. We need your help. And if you have been around a while, long enough to have heard the Grover story once, long enough to, okay, okay, I get it. I've heard a few of these messages. Then this is me re-recruiting you. Because it's been a long 12 years, but you know what else has been really, really long? Last two years. These last two years have felt like 12 years. And honestly, there's a lot of sludge in our system. I feel it, you feel it, where we've just fallen into some habits. We've, we've lost sight of maybe some core things that are really, really important. And I want to recruit you. I want to re-recruit you to get on board fully, to be an active member, to be active in what God is doing here and bringing hope and life to the people in this room and to our community, and to our world. So we're going to spend some time today. We're just going to talk about what that idea of you belong means. Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to be active in our community. And in the last week, Mark's going to come. He's going to talk to us just kind of about what is, what is our role and what God is doing around the world. And so this is who God has called us to be. And I think about this, you know, we call the series You Belong. We've got this awesome mural on the outside, and I mention this from time to time. Anytime we talk about it, I think it's really important. It's one thing to put a slogan inside the building. It's one thing to put a slogan on the auditorium. If you put a slogan front-facing, outside, then what you are saying to everyone who drives by is you belong here. You're just trying to find a parking spot at a really crowded event there at, the, at Mermaids. You drive by. It's like, this is a place where I could belong. You're someone who is coming to get food at our our food pantry. You belong. You are nervous as a first-time visitor driving to the parking lot. You belong. We are saying that to you before you enter into our place. It is a really important value of us. It is a really important value that we create an environment where people can really believe that they belong. And there's a story from the life of Jesus that really kind of encapsulates what I would say kind of really best describe, kind of what we really want to describe kind of the environment. For lack of a better word, I'm not trying to be cool, I promise. The vibe that I want us to have here 
as a church, like when you walk in, you think about us, this is who we are. All right, so it's a story that if you, if you have some church background, you are probably familiar with in Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was, by, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. And a wee little man, no, that's not what that says. If, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't, if you're not a church person, you'd be like, that just went over my head. I try not to do that very often, but there's a song. It's a song about this dude in this story, and that's a line from the song. I'm sorry, I apologize. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now pause here real quick, make sure we're understanding, kind of tracking with a really key part of the story. He says that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. And if you have had some bad interactions with the IRS, then you don't need me to describe for you why these people considered him to be a villain in this story. You have, a, you have enough internal motivation. You don't need the extra description. But no, no shade to any of them. They're just people just trying to do their jobs, even though they send me letters. I don't want their letters. <clears throat> um, I'm, 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 I'm two for three. They sent me letters three times. Twice they were wrong. Once I was wrong. The most recent one I was wrong. And I was, uh, anyways, whew, it's okay. So that's not, so, but, but that's, this is different than that. This is, I mean, the, there's people just trying to do their job. Tax collectors in this environment, like a Jewish man working for the Roman government as a tax collector. That's a betrayal in and of itself. And they were known for what they essentially do. The way that they made their living was, I would tell you that you owed $100, but you only owed 50 and there's anything you could do about it. There was no appeal process. There's nothing you could do. You didn't pay me. I throw you in jail. I had that authority. So you give me $100. I give the 50 you owe to the Roman government, put the other in my pocket. And apparently he was so good at this that he was a chief tax collector. He was in charge of tax. He was, he, he was working up the ranks. And so here's a person who had betrayed his country and was making his living and become incredibly wealthy by stealing from people. And so when Jesus goes to his house, people are like, what on earth? They say it. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So you got this guy, Zacchaeus. Again, very intentionally meant to be a villain in this story. He is someone who is going to be well-known in his community. He's going to be well-known as a traitor and a thief and someone with a lot of power. And he is... Um, the, the story kind of begins just kind of with a real interesting thing. Like he hears that Jesus is coming and he goes out. I cannot imagine that he was the kind of person who liked to go out when he knew there was going to be a crowd. I cannot imagine him being in a crowd went well for him. 
I mean, when he was kind of in his official role as tax collector, he had all this authority. But I cannot imagine he was well-liked. I cannot imagine that it, he got anything other than just boos and hisses when he went around. A lot, a lot of, but, but there was something about Jesus. And he needed, he needed, I needed to go see Jesus. And so he goes, and he goes, and there's this huge crowd. And, you know, normally you got somebody small. They want to come. Hey, man, you can come in the front. I can see right over you. But they're not letting him in. No, no, you don't get, no, you get away from us. So what he does is he goes ahead of the crowd where the crowd isn't yet and climbs up a tree, which is a great theme park strategy, right, just in case you're wondering, right, you want to, you want to go where the crowd isn't, right? You zig, they zag. So it's, it's great. Disney, he'd been great at Disney World. You go, you go ahead, get, it, get ahead of the crowd. So he gets ahead of the crowd and climbs up this tree. So he's got this spot before the crowd comes. And Jesus, he sees him. He sees him up in the tree. Which, I mean, for Zacchaeus, that's really cool. Jesus, I, I see you. Not only to say I see you, say come, come down here. I want, to, I want to be with you at your house. People start to grumble about it. And later on that day, Zacchaeus, he stands up and he says, I, I realize what I've done. I have robbed everybody. And I, anybody that I've robbed, I want to repay them plus. And I want to give half of what I have to the poor. And Jesus celebrates this as repentance has come to this house today. And so we get a picture here, I believe, from Jesus of the type of church that I believe that God has called us to be. So we're just going to look at just a couple of things here to kind of help us understand who it is we're trying to be and who we need you to be in this church. And it starts here with this idea that the love of Jesus, the love of Jesus has no preconditions, none. There wasn't anything that Zacchaeus had to do to earn Jesus's favor. I will love you if he was a sinner in a tree. He was an outcast in a tree. He was a traitor in a tree. He had sought Jesus out, but his life was a mess. He was still a thief and a traitor. And Jesus did not ask anything of him. He did not say, I will come to your house if. You come to that tree and I will talk to you if. I will, I will be your friend if. There was no if. It was just, I want to be with you. I see you. I want to be with you. I want to be with you in your home. I want to come to your home. This guy who was an outcast, a traitor, a villain, with no preconditions, no requirements, Jesus demonstrates an overwhelming amount of love to him. And I think it is incredibly important for you to understand that. It is important because I think some of you are still personally wrestling with this. There is a part of you, or maybe all of you, that you don't like, that you are ashamed of, and that you feel like you and God can never be right unless you fix this thing first. And I've heard people say this in different ways my whole life where I invite them to church. I invite them to know who Jesus is. And they will say to me something along the lines of, yeah, I know, I need to get right with God. There's some things I gotta straighten out first and I'll straighten out these things first and then I can be good enough to come to the Bible study. Then I can be good enough to come to church. Then I can be good enough where I can have God in my life. Right now, I'm not good enough. And And it breaks my heart 
that people do not believe, do not understand, do not really grasp this idea that Jesus' love is without precondition. He loves you right now and, and he sees you and he wants to be with you. And in the same way, this is how we will be. There are no preconditions between walking in this door and experiencing the love that Jesus has to offer you. There are none. It does not matter what story that you bring with you. It does not matter what your past is. It does not matter what your present is. This is a place where you can experience the love of God without precondition. Now, every group has a villain. In the, Old, in the New Testament, you read these people that the that the right people didn't like. It was, it was tax collectors and prostitutes. These were the two groups. People who had, who had, who had become wealthy in, in an inappropriate way by hurting people and the sexually immoral. And good people didn't associate with those types of people. And we are going to demonstrate how good we are by isolating ourselves from these bad people. This is what they did. 2,000 years later, not much is different. Every group of good people has a villain. Somebody that because of what they do, because of who they are, we are actually demonstrating how good we are by making them our enemy, by describing them as a villain. We are intentionally isolating ourselves from them and by this we show that we are good. Every group does this. And it's 2,000 years later on the completely other opposite side of the world. And guess who the two villains are in our little world that we've created here? Wealthy people that we have decided have gained their money in a way that we do not feel appropriate. Or, and or, people that are, we've decided, are sexually immoral. You do one of these things and you're on the outside. You're the wrong type of person. And we are going to be good and we demonstrate our goodness by keeping you out. This is not what Jesus did. Jesus was known for, can I say, had a bad reputation for loving the wrong people. By not being, getting along, going with the program. We don't, we don't like them. We isolate. They are too bad to be with us. And Jesus is breaking that down all the time. Here with Zacchaeus, with prostitutes, with women caught in adultery, with people, women, this woman who had been married six or seven times and was now living with some dude that wasn't her husband. And Jesus, we, we see all these people, we see all these descriptors, very intentional descriptors in the Bible to make sure that we understand that what Jesus is ta- who Jesus, who Jesus is interacting with, making sure that the original audience would know it's the wrong person. Jesus is going out of his way to demonstrate love to them. Now, I wish, I wish at this point I could tell you some stories. I wish I could tell you some very specific stories about some really cool opportunities that we have had over the last 12 years, including very recently, to show and demonstrate love to people in some really bad situations. But if I were to get up here and tell you that story, it would, might, would feel shaming to that person. And so I will just vaguely describe to you that it is really unusual for a church to get a call from someone saying, I just got out of prison. Is it okay for me to come to your church? It's unusual for that to happen. It's unusual for it to happen twice. It's unusual for it to happen three times. It is unusual for me to have forgotten how many times it has happened. 
where we've had the opportunity from the person who has made one of the worst mistakes of their life and in desperate need of hope and coming here. I'm telling you, the word is out. The word is out that this is a place where no matter what has happened here, they will love you here. And whatever I, when I say the sexually immoral, whatever category pops into your mind, I'm telling you, those people have walked through our doors and they have received the, and experienced the unconditional love of Jesus. Because it does not matter. People walk in here with stories all the time and sometimes we get a heads up on them and we get to, we get to go out of our way to love them. Sometimes we don't. You just got, people just kind of come. We don't find out till later, but we, we, we want to be a church that assumes that everyone has a story and that what every, why everyone is here is that they need to experience this love of Jesus that comes without condition, which is the way that Jesus loved people. And so if you are in that situation, I want you to know it doesn't matter. It does not matter what you have done. It doesn't matter what you are doing. We want you to belong here. We want you to experience the love that comes from Jesus. And I invite everyone to, to go out of your way to demonstrate that type of love to the people around you. But the story doesn't end there. It doesn't say, hey, and, and he had dinner with Zacchaeus and that was it. That's not all that happened. In fact, the, the, the best part of the story is what happens next. And we'll say it this way. It was a little awkward in its wording, but it's fine. Proximity to Jesus brings repentance. Zacchaeus was loved unconditionally, and now he is just around Jesus. And because he is around Jesus, it says he repents of what he's done. There's, this, is my favorite, this is one of my favorite parts of the story. My favorite parts of the story is because there's a, there's, a there's a huge gap in the middle of the story. I don't know if you feel it. There's a huge gap. Hey, come down. I want to I come to your house. Okay, great. And they, they go to his house and people start to grumble, dot, dot, dot. Zacchaeus stands up and says, I don't want to be like this anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to repay everyone back and I'm going to start giving. I'm give half of what I have to the poor. What happened? What did Jesus say to him? Doesn't say. What did Jesus do? Doesn't say. We have no idea about any of the interaction that they had. What Jesus said to him, Anything he said, anything he did, it is, it is, it is intentionally out. It is left out. And because it is left out, what we are being asked to believe and to understand, it is that being in the presence of Jesus is what leads to repentance. And this is what we believe. We believe that if I, all I have to do here, I'm just going to tell you this story about Jesus. This is who he is. This is who Jesus is. This is the way that he lived. This is the life that he lived. This is how he wants you to live. And just to put it out there and just hearing about who Jesus is and his character and what he did and his death on the cross, his sacrifice for you, his offer to you. If I just tell you about Jesus, your life will change. This is not just simply, hey, you just kind of come in here and whoever you are, it's fine. It's not fine. We love you, but it's not fine. Who Zacchaeus was, it wasn't fine. Jesus loved him anyway. And by being with Jesus, his life began to change. And he had a new life. 
and we believe the same thing for you, is that if we can come in here and really experience who Jesus is, the love of Jesus without conditions, that just hearing about who he is, the life that he lived, the death on the cross that he died for you, that if I hear about that, then God will change my life. I don't have to yell at you. I don't have to get angry. I don't, I don't have to start screaming. I don't have to bring you shame, make you ashamed of who you are so you'll change. I mean, like, bro, you came real close last week with that self-control sermon. Yeah, I felt a little bit, but if you, if you were listening, I talked about shame is not the way. Shame is not how you get there. Shame is, keeps you where you are. Shame. Shame just kind of, shame indulge, shame indulge. It's not shame. It is an encounter with the living God that changes you. It is coming face to face spiritually with the person of Jesus Christ. And so then my job becomes fairly easy. Just get you in here and tell you about Jesus. And let Jesus do that work. And I don't have to feel this pressure, this stress to, to, to yell, to get angry, to shame. Because that's not working anyway. But when we know and we encounter Jesus, that is when real life change happens. And I want to commend you guys on this. Because there's a really interesting phenomenon. I know you guys, you know, there's just things out here in this world, especially people who are, you know, significantly younger than me, people who are raised in church and are just like, I just don't think I believe any of that. I mean, there's, a, there's a word for it that gets overused in some context called deconstruction. I'm deconstructing all of this. I'm not sure I believe any of this anymore. And people like that who are kind of disenchanted with church, they, they end up here pretty often. And the number of people that I've heard say, directly or indirectly to me, you know, I'm not sure I believe any of this anymore. But I am drawn to it. That's you. That's what God is doing in your life. That's what God's doing through you. Is that people, even who are feeling this pull away, can't leave because they are experiencing the love of Jesus Christ through you. And even if their belief system is currently off, they are experiencing your, the love of Jesus through you and are being drawn back to him. And this is what we need to do. This is our job. Our job is to go to a world that feels like they don't belong, a world that believes that God does not love them, a world that believes that God maybe is even irrelevant to them and to their lives, and to create a place where they can belong no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, and then just get them to Jesus and then watch what Jesus will do. And this is described for us very specifically, this role, um, and, and I use this word specifically because it comes from a verse. This, this is the job we have. We'll say it this way. We are his ambassadors. We are Jesus's ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, 
we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So Paul uses this word, you're an ambassador. What is an ambassador, right? It's someone who represents one country in a different country. In fact, if you go to the embassy where the ambassador's office are and where the houses are, it's actually considered like U.S. territory. I've been to the uh, embassy in Kenya. It was kind of a, this, this huge compound. And that's, that's considered like, I'm in Kenya, but like right, that, that's the United States right there. Like, and, and, and the ambassador, when he speaks... He speaks on behalf of the U.S. government. And the way that he acts represents the U.S. government. He's not, he's, he's, while he's there, he's never representing himself. No, man, this isn't them, it's just me. No, no, it's always, you're always the ambassador. And this is the role that God has given to us. You now have been placed by Jesus. You represent Jesus. Now I'm going to put you in this different place and you will represent me there. And you will make my appeal to them. I'll make it through you. Be reconciled to God. And so in the way that we talk, in the way that we love, we are representatives, ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And when everyone walks through that door, we are demonstrating to them what Jesus is like, for good or for bad. We represent him. And this is what God has called us to. We want to represent him well. We want to love the people that have been deemed unlovable. Especially you need to love the people that your group has decided is unlovable. It's easier to decide I'm gonna love the unlovable people from the other people's group. My group, I'm gonna love everyone without precondition. I'm not gonna say that anyone Anyone, for any reason, is automatically excluded. In fact, I'm gonna do everything I can to make sure everyone feels included. And then I point them to Jesus. The son of God who lived this incredible life, who modeled the love of God so well, and then sacrificed himself for all of us. I point them to Jesus and really cool things happen. And then it's 10 years later and you find out about a young girl whose life was transformed. And and I get the privilege to hear the stories that I can't share with you of people who come here really, really hurt, really, really desperate, really, really broken. And they come up to me and they say, thank you so much. They're thanking me, but really they're thanking you for giving them a place where they can see, hear, and experience the love of God through Jesus Christ. And so again, if you're new and you're kind of wrestling with these things, man, this is what we want you to feel. We want you to feel the unconditional love of Jesus and allow him through the gospel, through his death on the cross, through his Holy Spirit, to transform you. And if you've been around a little bit, I just want to recruit you. We want you. We need you. There is a broken, hurting world out there and there is a broken, hurting world right in here. And we need you actively participating. We need you to actively help us 
through connecting, through giving, through serving, through praying, through inviting, through representing God well out there. We need you. And if you've been around for a while, we need you back. We need you back with your whole heart, believing in this mission and this vision that God has given us to bring hope and life to a world that desperately needs Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for the people that we've had a chance to just love. Even if it was just for one hour on one Sunday. That if for one moment we were able to show and model the love of your son to them. And God, I thank you for all the people's lives who you've changed the hope that you have brought. And God, I pray that we would just see even more of that. That without pretense, without precondition, without shame, God, we would just love well and point people to you. So that for years and years to come, people can find the hope of the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, right here. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.